Tonight's reading comes from Genesis chapter 16, starting at verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarai took Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, and so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from, and where are you going? I am running away from my mistress Sarai, she answered. Then the, Lord, then the angel of the Lord told her, Go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now pregnant, and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he will live in hostility towards all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Beer Lahai Roy, is still there between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave him the name Ishmael to the son he had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Well, thanks, Amy. And everyone, welcome back to church for another week, albeit through a computer screen. It's great to be together again, even though we are physically apart. And especially warm welcome to you if church isn't really your thing, but it's just because of COVID, you've decided to check out church a little bit, check out God a little bit. If that's you, you're so welcome. I hope you enjoy the next hour or so with us at church and you enjoy yourself and also you learn a little bit about God as well. But also tonight, let me give a specially warm welcome to those of you who are mothers or grandmothers or if you invest significant amounts of your time raising children. If that's you, happy Mother's Day to you. Thank you so much for the work that you do. It is so much appreciated by the rest of us. Now tonight, funnily enough, we are going to be looking at a passage which we are dealing with two would-be mothers. But we're not going to get any biblical wisdom uh, from these two mothers yet. And you'll see why as we walk through the passage. But if you do want to reflect on what God thinks of a godly wife or a godly mother, let me encourage you to go to one of the places where it does talk about that specifically. And that could be a place like Proverbs chapter 31. Well, we've been going through a series at church called Abraham, God's First Disciple. And last week we saw 
that Abram was a person who、um, believed God, who trusted God, and as a result of this, God credited to him as righteousness, as a good relationship with him. We also saw that Abram was someone who believed God, had faith in God, but this faith led to actions. That's true of Abram, and that's true of us as well today. Tonight we'll see that Abram gets a bit lost. He needs the help of Google Maps, and more specifically, he needs God's help to point him back in the right direction. Because tonight we see that while Abram believed God before, tonight he acts in a very faithless way towards God. And as he acts in this faithless way towards God, it has terrible consequences for him and for the world. We'll also see that despite him being like this towards God, God remains faithful to him and keeps up with his promises. Now we're going to read through chapter 16 and chapter 17 of the Bible tonight, and so it's very good for you to have your Bibles open in front of you. Let me encourage you to, if you're not used to this church thing, to open up a second window, probably right next to me over here, and just type in BibleGateway.com. That's just an online Bible, BibleGateway, one word, dot com, and in the search bar, just type out Genesis 16, and you'll have a text in front of you. If you're a regular at church, well, you know what to do. Well, let's look at the first thing. Abram acting faithlessly towards God, and we'll see that in verses one through to three. And just remember, last week God had told Abram that his descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. Now look what happens in chapter sixteen. It says this: Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, "The Lord has kept me from having children. Go." Sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarah said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan for ten years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to Adam to、uh, to her husband to be his wife. Now we've got to remember that Abram had been given a promise by God in chapter twelve, which was when he was seventy-five years old. And this promise involved three big things. The first one was that he'd have as many descendants as stars in the sky. That was reiterated、uh, last week. The second part of the promise was he would have a land of his very own for his descendants to grow up in. And the last part was that God was going to bless the world through him and his descendants. So he had this promise of God in his mind. But the problem, of course, is that was when he was seventy-five years old, and now he's eighty-six. Eleven years have passed. And it doesn't seem that God has come through with His promises yet, and so therefore He is getting frustrated. His wife Sarai is getting frustrated that they don't even have a son yet. Now, many women, many men indeed, love to have a, a family of their own, and certainly that was the case of Sarai and, and Abram. And so she was very frustrated, and understandably so. Now, my older two kids, ten、uh, and seven year old,、uh, they've they've been doing karate for a little while, and recently they've earned their yellow belt. Which is quite nice, but you know when I'm, when I'm talking about karate, I'm not talking about blood sports. I'm talking more like dance. It's actually just a quite little cute thing, and they've been doing this. But unfortunately, my youngest, who's a four-year-old, well, she's too young to join those classes. But she's been sneaking a peek at the Zoom classes, and sometimes when she's unhappy, and so she she actually copies some of the moves sometimes. Except her punches are not straight; they're just all over the place, and her blocks are everywhere, and it's just kind of cute to watch. But sometimes, when she gets frustrated with a situation in life or with mum and dad's decisions, she busts out these karate moves to try and change the situation. So she goes from being 
a nice girl to being an angry, frustrated little girl. And when we look at her, we sort of laugh because, well, what can you possibly change about the situation? You're just four and you don't even know karate. Um, but having said that, she does it anyway. And this is kind of a little bit like how Sarai's feeling. She's saying, I'm frustrated with God. And I'm gonna, he has kept me from having children. So I am going to build a family through Hagar. And so she hatches a new plan. She says to her husband, Abram, you take my slave girl and you sleep with her and you have an heir through him, through her. Now, this is wrong on so many levels because back in Genesis 2, God actually says a man, a woman, will leave their father and mother and become one flesh with their husband and wife. That, that was the plan, but she's like, forget about that. Let's just, let's just get an heir. Now, Abram, he's not much better. In fact, he's a lot worse because, you see, he heard the promises from God in Genesis 12 and also just in Genesis 15, and he just goes along with his wife's plan. Now, I don't know what he was thinking. Maybe he's thinking, well, I'm 86 years old and my wife is offering me his, her slave girl to sleep with. Yeah, I'll do it. No worries. Or maybe he's thinking, oh, Sarah, look, just, I know your frustration. Let's just go with your plan. We'll just do whatever you say. Either way, what he's not doing is saying, Sarai, sweetie, darling, God's promised us that we'll have children, as many as the stars in the sky. Let's just trust him. Let's wait on his plan. Or at least let's pray to him and just ask him, is the deal still on while we're supposed to do something else? He didn't do any of that. He just listened to his wife and they, they did angry Sarai on God. This smacks of Genesis 3, doesn't it? Where, where Eve just tells Adam to forget God, let's go their own way, and Adam just complies. Now as we see this, we look back at them and say, oh, come on, Sarai, come on, Abram. How could you be so dumb? I mean, just one chapter ago, God promises you descendants. Just, just uh, in chapter 12, God promises you descendants. How can you be so faithless? But I wonder if we ourselves are that much different from Abram and Sarai. You see, there are many things in our lives that we want. And sometimes when God doesn't come through, we are tempted. And in fact, we do take matters into our own hands. It could be in many areas. But for instance, it could be in an area of a relationship. Uh, you might feel you're getting old and everyone else is pairing off and dating someone or getting married and having kids and you feel like you're left on the shelf. And you think, well, you know, I know that I'm supposed to marry someone who loves Jesus, but, you know, God doesn't understand where I'm at. God doesn't understand things. Here. So oh, there's a really nice guy at work, Jack, or there's a really nice girl at work, Jill, and they don't love Jesus yet, but that's okay. Maybe they'll become Christians in the future. God doesn't understand me. I'll do it my own way. I'll do it angry Sarai. Or maybe it could be that you're actually married and you're feeling a bit dry in your marriage, but there's somebody at work who understands you more and God just doesn't understand me and I, I just want to develop a relationship with this other person outside my marriage and angry Sarai. Or it could be actually at work, maybe the way we charge our clients, maybe the way we take credit for things that we didn't actually do. Maybe it's our tax returns. We put a few extra zeros here, a few less zeros there. God just doesn't understand. It's COVID time. We need the money and angry Sarai. It could be that. And we decide not to go God's way, but actually go our own way. Now, these things here, God never promises us. He never promises that all of us will be married, all of us will even have great marriages, or that even all of us will do well financially and be stable. But you know what? God actually does promise us that if we really seek after him, we will find the greatest joy in our life knowing him. 
the best thing God can give us is actually God himself. And that is a promise that is in the Bible. But oftentimes, if you're anything like me, we do this God thing a bit and it's a bit dry to us and we find, fr- we find uh, fulfillment and excitement in other things. It might be in our hobbies, it might be in our relationships, it might be in our careers, it might be something else, and we don't bother to find satisfaction in God anymore. And we just chase after what ultimately are just cheap thrills and base our lives on chasing those. God promises us joy in relating to him and we just chuck an angry Sarai and just find fulfillment in other places. See, me, you, we're not that different to Abraham and Sarai after all, are we? So if we've realized that that's what we've been doing tonight, then maybe it's a good time for us to just stop and say sorry to God. We are a bit like Abram and Sarai and we want to change our direction from tonight onwards. Well, the passage goes on. We see that Abram and Sarai commit this act of chucking an angry Sarai, and as a result of this, there are consequences, just like these dominoes falling. And we see this in Genesis 16, verses 4 through to 15, that Amy just read to us. There's a lot of text here, so let me encourage you to keep one eye on the text and one eye on me, and we'll work through this passage together. You see, what happens next is Abram does this, executes this plan, and it actually works. But the consequences are terrible for his family. The first thing that happens is uh, Hagar actually falls pregnant. And now, but what happens now? Hagar starts despising her mistress. She's like, I'm the it girl. I've got it on. What are you going to do to me? I've got the heir of, of your husband in my womb. What are you going to do? And she starts despising on, casting shade on her, her um, mistress. And so now there's tension between Sarai and, and Hagar. Not only that, but there's actually tension between Sarai and Abram. Sarai's like, she despises me. How could you do this to me, Abram? What are you doing? And he's like, what do you mean, what am I doing? You told me to do it. I did exactly what you said. And now there's tension in their family as well. And the next thing that happens is, of course, Abram, this great hero of the Bible, what does he do next? Does he take responsibility for his actions? Does he say, look, let's talk to Sarai, the Hagar, and let's work this out? No. Once again, he washes his hands of it and says, you just treat her however you want. She's your slave. Do whatever you want. And so Sarai goes back and mistreats Hagar, so much so that Hagar runs away from Abram's family. Now, this isn't a situation where you don't like your manager at work and you quit. This isn't a situation where you think, oh, we don't like Sydney, so we're going to catch a plane to Melbourne and start all over again when we can catch planes. But this is a situation where she's a slave girl. She's owned by Sarai. Leaving is an act of theft. Not only that, Where is she going to go? She has no money, and she's pregnant. She's going to go on the road to Shur, which leads back to Egypt, which is her home. But the chances of her making it are very little. Later on, we see that uh, Hagar and her son, later on, are are evicted from Abram's family, and they almost die trying to get home from the lack of water. But she's actually saying, it's so bad here in Sarai's home that I'm I'm willing to kill myself. I'm willing to, to risk my life to get away from them. And along with it, there goes the whole point of Abram and Sarai's whole little scheme. The the baby in her womb will be gone along with them. So this has got terrible consequences to their family. But it's not just to their family. It's actually to the whole of mankind. You see, later on, Hagar will have a child, a son, called Ishmael. And Ishmael will be the father to many of the Arab nations and also Islam. 
And later on, Sarai will have a son called Isaac, and he will have sons. And they'll become the nation of Israel, and Judaism will come from there, and by, by connection, Christianity. And always, there's always been tensions between Islam and Judaism in the Middle East for all the centuries since then. Many years ago, there was a TV show called The West Wing, uh, and the, they, they stopped their normal story arc uh, when 9-11 happened. And the 9-11 happened, they, they had a special story, and the story was called Isaac and Ishmael. And in this story, a bunch of Year 12 students go to the White House, and an attack occurs in the White House. And they ask the staffers at the White House, what's going on? Why are they doing this to us? And in the end, the president's wife, Mrs. Bartlett, comes up and says, you know what? It all began with Hagar and Sarai. And the sons of Ishmael and the sons of Isaac have been fighting ever since. Now, that's a bit of an oversimplification of the reasons why there's tension in the Middle East. Uh, there's military reasons, there's political reasons, there's a whole bunch of reasons. But having said that, we can't deny that the effects of Genesis have had ramifications throughout this millennia to even to this day. And so Abram and Sarai's actions have even led to consequences for us in 2020. So what are we supposed to do? We, are, we, we all agree that when we, have, when we do actions, they actually lead to consequences. If, generally speaking, we're nice to people, we're kind to people, they're generally, not always, nice and kind back, and we have a nice family, we have a nice community. And generally speaking, when we're mean and horrible to people, then they're generally, not always, mean back to us, and we have a bad family and a bad community. Our actions have consequences. So let me encourage all of us, Next time we have a big decision to do with relationships or with uh, our careers or with our families, let me encourage you, next time we have one of those big decisions to make, don't just go with conventional wisdom, the wisdom of the world. Don't go with how you feel about things, but rather pause, think about things, think about what God would want you to do, pray to God, seek the counsel of older and wiser Christians before you make those big decisions. Because then the outcome will be a godly outcome, whether it's good or bad, depending on what we like. But also, let me encourage you to do that in our day-to-day decisions as well. Now, day-to-day decisions happen very rapidly and often, and so it's hard for us to pause every single time and pray and read the Bible and, and speak to older Christians. And so maybe it's not so practical to do it for small daily decisions. But there is a way to do it. And the simple way to do it is actually to stay close to God all the time, to be always praying to God, to be always listening to his word, whether on a live stream talk or whether it's going to be reading the Bible by yourself, with your, with your wife, with your husband, with your children. Just always thinking God's thoughts after him. And as a result of this, when you face the day-to-day decisions, the chances are you'll make a godly decision with godly consequences, whether it's advantageous to you or not. At least you know it's a part of what God wants. Let me encourage you to do that. And as we do these, our, our actions will be our decisions will be God-centered, and the results will be what God wants. Well, lastly, we look at what happens next. Abram is fa- and Sarai are faithless. They have, their actions lead to terrible consequences, but God reacts by being faithful, being rock-solid like a safe. And we actually see this in Genesis 17, which we didn't have read out for us. So let me encourage you to flip over to Genesis 17 and just scan through that passage uh, while I talk. And also I'll point you through some key verses from there. The first thing we know is that it's, Abram is now 99 years old. It's like 12 years uh, after, 13 years after chapter 16. 
And here, God, God reacts to Abram's and Sarai's faithlessness by being faithful and confirming his covenant with them. He says, I am going to give you descendants as the stars in the sky, and I'm going to give you a boy within a year. And just so you know, I'm going to change your names. Verse 3 says this, Abram fell face down, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. God also said to Abram, As for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah, and I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. See, God says, I'm going to, I'm going to confirm my covenant made to you all the way back when you're 75 years old, and I'm going to do it now. I'll give you a sign about this. Your name is no longer Abram, exalted father, to Abraham, the father of multitudes, the father of a multinational area. And your wife's name is no longer Sarai, ruler, or princess, my ruler, or my princess, a sort of local feel, to Sarah, which is just ruler, just princess, denoting a sort of international feel, because kings are going to come from her. I'm going to be faithful to you. I'm going to confirm that covenant. But he also says, having said that, you have got to do it my way. You can't just approach me by just hatching up little plans to have your own heir somehow and getting Ishmael. You have got to come my way. And I'm going to do all the work. Last week we saw God's going to walk through that meat aisle by himself. But you are going to have a sign. And that sign, in this case, is circumcision. In verse 11, you are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of a covenant between me and you. You can't just approach me anyway. You have to approach me with this sign of circumcision. Later on, it gets more complicated. They have a big tent that they need to build. It's called the tabernacle. And you have to do it exactly God's way with God's dimensions. And later on, a temple uh, with exactly God's dimensions, with the furniture that God tells you to build. And you have to make sacrifices in exactly God's way. You cannot approach God in any way you see fit. You must approach God His way. And right now in, 16, in chapter 17, it's, it's with the circumcision, with the sign of a circumcision. Now, I can't see you out there on internet land, but um, I'm suspecting a lot of men are sort of twiggling around in their seats right now thinking, what, you mean to get to God, we need to be circumcised? And if that's you, then I bring you good tidings of great joy. You don't need to be circumcised to be a part of God's people anymore. Romans 2 tells us this, No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. You see, God was always after a changed heart. He wanted Abram and Sarai to actually seek after him and trust his promises instead of hatching their own plans. But he gave them an outward sign of circumcision to actually make them remind them that they had to do it his way. And in the New Testament, Jesus says, you know what, those, those rituals, those signs, those outward signs, we're good back in those days, but now that I've come, what I really want is what God's wanted all along, a changed, circumcised heart, a heart that loves God, that fears God, that worships God, that loves the people God loves in his world. I want that. And from that changed and circumcised heart, I want you to go out and live a life which honors me and blesses people. 
So, to my brothers out there, don't worry, no circumcision. But yes, we still must approach God God's way with a changed heart. We can't approach God believing in other religions. We can't approach God just because of morality, which is a good thing, but that's not how we get to God. We can't just get to God by just downloading live streams, which is a good thing, or coming to church physically every week for, for decades, although that's a good thing. But what we really need is a changed heart and a relationship with Jesus. And from that circumcised heart, to go out there and now live lives which honor God and blesses people. That's what God wants. Now, what about the people who are not a part of Abram's family? What about the non-Jews? Does God care about them? Well, the answer, thankfully, is yes, he does. What we didn't zoom into um, earlier on in chapter 16 is when Hagar runs away, God sends an angel who actually looks after her and brings her back to the household of Sarai and Abraham. And he says, you're to name your son Ishmael, which means God hears. And even right here in chapter 17, God says, you know, it's not just for the blood descendants of Abram, Abraham. It is for those who are brought into his family. So for the non-Jewish people, you can still be a part of Abraham's family now by believing in Jesus. And that is true of so many of us today. I suspect that on this live stream tonight, very few of us are actually biologically related to Abram, but yet a lot of us have been brought into Abram's line by believing in Jesus. Now, God says he's not going to work through Ishmael's line. He's going to work through Isaac's line, but people are welcome to join into Isaac's line, and Christians all around the world have joined that today, and that can be true of anyone. God loves them as well. Now, having heard all these things, it's great news, isn't it? Because sometimes I think if you're anything like me, you have moments of doubt. You think, you know, I'm just like Abram. I can totally relate to him. I've failed God so many times. I forget God so many times. I actively disobey God so many times. And I might have just sinned away my inheritance. And if that's you, the good news from tonight is, no, you haven't. You haven't sinned away your inheritance. God is faithful to you even when you're faithless to him. So rest in his forgiveness, rest in his faithfulness, and be filled with confidence because of the character of God, a faithful God. But having said that, that's not a license for us to do just whatever we want. His, his faithfulness, his grace is not a place where we wipe our feet. He says, if you want to follow me, you do it on my terms. You do it by believing in Jesus. You do it by having your heart changed by the Holy Spirit. You do it by living a life which honors me and blesses people. You do it that way, not just any way you want. So follow after him. Follow hard after him. Understand him more and more. Make decisions in your life which honor him and not just go with what's expedient for you. That's the way God wants you to live. And for those of you who are sort of new at this church thing and you're just sort of checking out church and God, the fantastic news from tonight is God loves you as well and God wants you to seek him. So listen to, to next week's talk here on this live stream. When we open up again, and we pray that it's soon, come physically in and meet us. And if you're not from this area, find a good Bible-believing church in your neck of the woods. And if you don't know what that is, you don't know where to find that, just click on the St. Andrew's address down there and email us and we'll do our best to put you in touch with a good church in your part of the world, wherever it is. But keep on seeking God because God loves you and wants to include you into the line of Isaac and Abram as well.
Well, tonight we've seen that Abram gets lost and he acts in a faithless way towards God with terrible consequences. And yet through all that, God remains faithful to him. This was true of Abram 4,000 years ago. It is true of us today. It is the same God. And we get to read about him every week at church. Thank you so much for spending Sunday evening with us. We hope you've learned a lot about God and we hope you continue to seek him. Amen. Let me pray. Lord God, thank you so much that you are a faithful God. We apologize for our faithlessness to you, but we rest secure that you are a God who still loves, still forgives. Help us not to take that for granted. Help us to be buoyed and encouraged by that forgiveness and that faithfulness. And help us now to go out and live lives which honor you and bless others. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Uh, Tom, we've got some mm. questions that are here. Perfect. I'm going to ask you the first one that's come through. Why did God make promises to Hagar and Ishmael? This seems odd. Looks like parallel promises to Abraham and Hagar, Ishmael, mm. about each uh, creating a great nation which leads to terrible conflict over time. Yeah, fantastic question. Uh, as you read the passage, no doubt you picked up that uh, Ishmael was going to be the father of 12 nations and he was going to be very blessed. And also Isaac would be the father of 12 tribes later on and they'll be very blessed. And God has said that he will actually work through not Ishmael's line, but actually Isaac's line and bless the world through Isaac's line. Now, why does God do this? Well, it's the story of what God did. So we can't actually answer with certainty why he did it, but he did do it that way. But it doesn't mean that God does not love everyone. As you saw, he acted very tenderly towards Hagar. He actually blesses uh, Ishmael. Later on, we'll read that as uh, Ishmael and Hagar are evicted from Abram and Sarai's home, uh, they're running out of water and God blesses them as well. So God does love a world, but he actually has chosen to work through one particular family, and that's the family of Abram, and we're all invited to join that family through Christ. And we can see this so clearly because God actually sent his own son to die for us so that we can be part of his Abraham's line, even though we, most of us were not born into it. Yeah, thanks, Tom. Mm. Uh, next question here. Tom, why does God choose people like Abram and Sarai, who seem to be such poor role models, to be the father and mother of his earthly family? Yeah, that's another good question. I guess my question to you would be, who would he choose uh, to be a good role model? I mean, all of us are kind of bad and kind of good in our own ways, like Abram and Sarai. So if he picked Mal, or he picked me, or he picked someone else, we'd have our own flaws, and so would you as well, and you'd have our own good points. And so God does. But also, we also see in the Bible that God oftentimes picks uh, weak people and sort of not fantastic people to show how good he is and how strong and powerful he is. And so all through the Bible, we see God picking the, the weaker person, like a young boy called David to be king. And that just reminds us, God's the one winning the victories, God's the one controlling the situation, and we never get confused that somehow it's that person's goodness or that person's might that actually achieves the, the thing. So God does things with Ab Abram and Sarai so that we know it's him and not them. Yeah, I guess mm. that's uh, one of the reasons why we're doing this sermon series, aren't we? You know, mm. we see uh, that those who follow God, those who are disciples of Jesus, we're not perfect. Mm. Uh, we, make, we all make mistakes just like Abraham and Sarah did, but mm. it is God who is perfect. Mm. And so the ability to follow him and his commands are the right way for us to live. Yeah. Okay, final question. There mm. are a few other questions coming in. If you want to catch up with Tom, uh, you can email him and ask him some uh, more questions. But this one's a, uh, an interesting one. How do Muslims, as Ishmael's descendants, fit into the promises of blessings to Abraham? Are they part of your descendants will be greater than the number of stars? Ooh, okay. If I've interpreted that question correctly... Um, are they a part of Abram's um, descendants? 
on one level, no, because they come from the line of Ishmael. And we're talking about the line of Isaac. But on another level, God has actually opened up access to the line of Isaac to everyone, including Muslims. God loves Muslims as well. And God wants Muslims and Christians and people who are just um, people from any religion or no faith at all to actually come and believe in Jesus because he is the true son of God. And he comes from the line of Isaac. So um, if I've understood your question correctly, no, they're not a part of Isaac's, uh, Abram's inheritance, but they are still loved by God. So still uh, part of the, the, the numerous descendants that mm. would come from yeah. him, but not those who are part of the promised line yes, that we right. see through. Mm. Yeah.